Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN Radio. This is exciting for me for a couple of reasons. It's selfish. I get to talk to Dr. Debbie Horowitz again, veterinary behaviorist and uh, a friend who also a contributing editor, as was I, honored to be, of a book called Decoding Your Dog. Good morning, Dr. Horowitz. Good morning, Steve Dale. (laughs) It's been way too long since I've talked to you, and I never thought that America would celebrate our conversation with fireworks. You know, we do get pretty, you know, rolling along, so it is a happy time. I can see why they would. (laughs) Well, this is a huge problem for so many dogs, and I would argue it's not that the dogs are not patriotic, They just don't know what's happening and why these loud noises. So if they're loud to us, of course, they've got to be way louder to our dogs. Some are, and I want to talk about all of these categories. Some are not happy about it. They kind of find a place to hide. And I would suggest that's one category. Others are certainly distressed, but they're dealing with it in their own way. I suppose, but could use a little assistance. And then the third group are absolutely terrified. It is truly a panic attack. I mean, I know that you've helped some animals when this sort of thing happens that have literally jumped through windows to try to escape. I mean, that is how panicked at the extreme end some animals are. So I want to take those, if those categories make sense to you, I'd like to take them one at a time. So okay. what, what about the dog or cat, let's include cats, that is dealing with this by hiding? And, and oftentimes what people do is they pull the cat out or the dog out from under the bed or the closet or, where, or maybe the bathtub, whatever that hiding place happens to be. So how can we help these animals or do we just let – what do we do? Let them hide? Well, hiding is not maladaptive if you consider the reasons that the animal might hide. If they hide, they don't know what it is. So it sounds dangerous to them. And and if there's danger around that you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know what it is, it's best to get out of the way. So if they're hiding and they seem, you know, relatively relaxed in their hiding place, they're under the bed, they're in the bathtub, they go down into the basement, someplace like that, I wouldn't try to get them out. And I would not, you know, scold them or anything. You might offer them a treat or try to play a game with them. But if they seem relatively relaxed in that situation, then it's adaptive. It's saying, you know, I really don't like what's going on, but when I'm down here, I feel safe. And you look at them and they look safe. Their ears aren't tucked tight to their head. They're not panting a lot. Their pupils aren't dilated. They just say, you know, I feel safe down there. I leave them be until the event is over because that's an adaptive response. You know, I think it was before your time and before my time. <laughs> Hold on. There was a dog trainer. I think his name was Bill Campbell, if I'm remembering right. I never met him. But he wrote books, uh-huh. and I read the books. And he used the term jolly. And and what he essentially was saying back in the day is distract your dog by making your dog happy, having other things for your dog to do. The kind of food puzzles that are available now weren't at that time. But now we have all these different food puzzles. Also, the kids can play with the dog or a cat, maybe with an interactive toy with a cat. 
for the animals that are just mildly distressed or not distressed all that much, is that a good idea? I guess it depends. Um, if I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about something, but I find a distraction that settles me down, like listening to music, for example, or reading a book. I don't want someone to come along and go, let me tell you a few jokes. <laughs> that, that might not be what I want. It doesn't hurt. Uh, by the way, when he was talking about the jolly routine, he was talking about animals that were really showing signs of distress. So I'm talking about an animal who has chosen to remove themselves to what they consider a safe place. But they're not panting. They're not distressed. They just say, I feel better here. Think about if you went to a big party where you didn't know anybody and you found a little room in a corner where you could sit quietly and scroll through your phone. You didn't have to talk to anybody you didn't want to. And you were calm about the whole thing. You wouldn't want someone to come in and start telling you jokes because you're happy. So it's a question of what are the symptoms the animal's showing. If they're panting, they're pacing, their pupils are dilated, their ears are against their head, they're cowing against the ground, then they don't feel safe there. And, yes, we should do something else. But an animal that chooses to remove themselves and then when the event is over, comes out and is fine, I consider that adaptive most of the time. Okay, so let's, and you've already kind of begun to go there. What about the animals that are showing distress of some sort? So they're not panicked, and I don't know where that line is between distress, anxiety, fear, and absolute panic, but they're not panicked, but they're certainly not happy, and they're showing absolute Everything you just said, you know, in a cat, maybe the whiskers are back, the ears are down, the cat right. may be hiding as well, the tail can be flashing. The cat is definitely distressed. Maybe maybe we even have an accident outside the box. Uh, or the box that is in the location the cat usually uses but is loud because of the fireworks, the cat's not going to use. The cat is just distressed. Or the same thing with the dog, and you described many of those signs as to what could be happening, the hair could be flying off the dog, the tail may be down, uh, the dog may be hyper-salivating uh, salivating a lot. Well, Here's those, the- are dogs, those are dogs that are in distress. All right, so right. So if, what you, do we- if you know that this situation puts your dog in distress, then you should plan ahead. All right, Especially but now, something- now it is July 2nd, so there isn't much time to plan ahead. So what do you do at this point? Can a, for those dogs, a nutraceutical help if we can get our hands on one at this point. So it's not a nutritional supplement. It's not a pharmaceutical. It's kind of a hybrid in the middle. Like Zilkeen, which is hydrolyzed milk protein, can that help kind of take the edge off or maybe a pheromone product? It certainly depends on the level of the anxiety. Um, if it's acute an acute episode, I certainly would try some Zilkeen or um, Adaptal, uh, pheromones. And when I say acute, like unexpected, you didn't know it was happening. And that might calm the animal down. I would also put them in a, a place where they don't hear the noise so well, use some white noise to block that. Um, and maybe try to engage them in play or another game or a food dispensing toy if it's mild enough and they can be distracted by that. I think that's a good thing, especially if it's unexpected. So, for example, we're talking about fireworks, but sometimes you have some sort of construction next door, and you didn't know it was going to happen. So you would take your pet to a a safe room in your house where you could control the sound level and maybe give them a nutraceutical or some pheromone and uh, feed them some 
delectable treats and play with them, and that might do it for that situation. But if they're more agitated than that, uh, then we need to think differently. All right, so before we get to the more agitated than that, uh, that room you're talking about, uh, what about some white noise, which you may or may not have mentioned, and certainly what you need to mention is turning on your favorite talk radio station, and really loud. <laughs> um, I, I think that if it's always nice to have a, a room available, and they vary. For example, if you don't have a big house, but you have an interior bathroom that has an exhaust fan and no windows, then grab your book, grab some dog treats or some cat treats, and take them in there and turn on the fan, and maybe just play some calming music as background and see whether or not the animal begins to calm down. The best way to use any of these interventions is watch. And as soon as they become distressed, start to do something to mitigate, to diminish their input of the distressing noise. Don't wait till they're trembling and panting and, uh, you know, racing around the house looking for a place to hide. Uh, be pre- preemptive, especially with fireworks, because we know it's going to happen. It's going to start, you know, well before the 4th of July. So scope out your house for a room or a closet. Some dogs and cats, especially like closets, if you have a big walk-in closet, because it smells familiar to them, and uh, let them go and hide. If the animal hides and you find them and they don't look particularly distressed, panting, their pupils aren't dilated, leave them there. That's a coping strategy. That's a good coping strategy for them. All right, now, I will ask you about panicked animals when we come back, but also what not to do. And, you know, you're one of the expert speakers out there on the sort of veterinary circuit, talking to veterinarians about things. And years ago, I saw you admonish your colleague. Well, admonish isn't at all really the right word, but (laughs) but it was about what people do being human beings who love their animals and the notion was that oh don't don't talk to your dog at all that's panicked because you're going to make the panic worse and you explained the truth about that we're going to hear that truth and much more when we come back with Dr. Debbie Horowitz on WGN. Dr. Debbie Horowitz, a co-editor of Decoding Your Dog, a veterinary behaviorist, is here to talk about Bang! Boom! Oh, ooh. Does that sound at all realistic, Dr. Hurwitz? Bang! Boom's kind of dead, yeah. <laughs> kind of. I don't think so. We're talking about fireworks. Happy Fourth of July, everyone. But the dogs don't know why those fireworks are happening, and some panic. What do you do about those animals that are absolutely panic the word i like to use is inconsolable that there's just and maybe everything in them is coming out maybe they want to jump out the window literally in some cases the cat if we're talking cats may be thinking outside the box because the cat's not going to move from where the cat is may not even want to eat the same with dogs might not even want to eat what do we do about these guys sometimes you get caught unaware so you didn't know that your animal is going to react like this to the event. Um, maybe, you've, for example, if you're from California, you don't know about thunderstorms because they don't have them. So you're, you may move somewhere where they have thunderstorms and suddenly your dogs panic or your cat for the first time. And if it's the first time you've ever encountered this event, it's really important to get them to a safe space. 
a, a room with no lights in it or windows, uh, turn on some white noise, whether it's music or a fan, and try to engage them in something fun if you can. Most importantly, don't chastise them. This is a response that they can't help. So fear is you can't you can't reward it by saying oh I love you I love you you can't reward away a fear but you can't punish it away either. Okay, so you're so jumping you, ahead. Hold on here. You're jumping ahead to what I wanted to talk to. So or talk okay. about at a point in time some number of years ago there were all these popular press stories saying that you shouldn't console your animal that is mm-hmm. afraid of thunderstorms for that matter but since we're talking fireworks, same thing, afraid of fireworks, that you're going to make matters worse. Can you explain the truth about that? Well, I think our, our there are two responses humans usually have to animals that are really agitated about noises and sounds. One is, if depending on what they're doing, especially if it's in the middle of the night, is they stop it, go to your bed, lie down. And the other is to pick them up and cuddle them. If First of all, yelling at the dog that, or a cat that's afraid doesn't help. If you're afraid of something and someone walks up to you and screams at you, it doesn't make you feel any better. You can't punish away an emotion. And if you hug someone who's upset and they calm down, then that's a good thing to do. So if you start to pet your dog and it starts to relax and the panting slows down and you give it a massage and you brush it and the animal acts like, oh, this is so much better, then keep on going. And the same for your cat. If it's not helping, then you need to try something else. But it's so not really but, the best but, Dr. Way to Dr. Right, but Dr. Horowitz, there was a point again in time where the, the, the some professionals even were saying, uh, "Don't do what you just said. Don't hug your dog. Don't console your dog because it's going to make matters worse." And what you're saying is that's not necessarily true, and in fact, it might even help. You can't reward um, a fear or an anxiety. You can't, uh, you can't, if you, the dog is upset and you pet it, you're not rewarding the fear. What you're trying to do is calm. So if they don't calm down, then you can't reward or punish an emotion. That is the more uh, direct way of saying it. If it's an emotional feeling, then it's a feeling. It's something that you can't control. So storm phobia is, Firework phobias are reactions that the animals cannot control. So what we're trying to do is not make them more stressed by yelling at them or ignoring them. However, if you pick them up and cuddle them and they squirm and they want to get away, then that isn't working for them, and we need to try something else. Okay, so I wanted to clear that up because I think there's lots of misconceptions about that. In our two minutes left, we left off at those panicked, truly panicked pets. Uh, they're having a panic attack. Uh, if you can reach your veterinarian at this point in time, there are pharmaceuticals available, I think, I know, that really will help. Is, isn't that true? Well, if your pet is already panicked and you don't have any pharmaceuticals at home, that, that can be a problem. But if you know, if you know, uh-oh, fireworks is coming um, or thunderstorms are coming, there are so many medications available for dogs and cats, including nutraceuticals like Zilkeen or Adaptil or Feelaway or Anxetane that can set a calming environment ahead of time that you need to contact your veterinarian and say, I know that this is coming and it's going to be upsetting to my pet. What should I do? And they will give you medication or nutraceutical that you can have on board 
before it starts. Yeah, but remember the pr- that it- the problem that I have with what you said though is it's July second. You may not have time, and also I know you didn't mean to say this. If you already have on hand, but don't go to your own medicine chest and take a guess at what might work. No, I had on hand because your veterinarian had already prescribed it. Right. I just want to clarify that because I don't want people to go to their medicine cabinets and say, oh, I've got this that I use for me, or Aunt Martha uses this, so it must work. No, don't use those on your pets, correct? Correct. And that's, that's really, really important. All right, so dogs that are afraid of fireworks, it turns out, may have other anxieties as well. So I want to talk about something that so many of you are doing, a record number of you are doing. We don't, when we travel with our families, and according to industry reports, more people will be doing car travel for whatever reason this summer than in past years. We take our entire family with us, and that may include the pets. Should we even be doing that? Are some pets better left better off at home? We're going to ask Dr. Horowitz about that and what you do about those anxious dogs that I'm not so good on those car rides. Can we help those dogs? We'll do that next on WGN. So what is the most important thing you can have in your home for your pets? Dogs, cats, pet birds, too, by the way. That is an enriched environment. And I'd argue hamsters, guinea pigs, gerbils, we don't, even pet snakes, we don't completely, really, we don't completely know how to do that for a corn snake necessarily, but it truly is important to at least make a best effort to do so. And in dogs and cats and pet birds, we do know how to do it, and we'll talk about that next week on the show. We'll also talk about this, veterinary social work. You know, I've, I've, I've had the show, how many years have I been? 26 years, I think, I've been doing this. I don't think I've ever talked about that. There's a practice in Chicago that has a veterinary social worker, both to help the veterinary professionals who work there, but also to help all of you. How can a social worker help you? We'll talk about that next week on Steve Dale's Pet World. I am so glad we have Dr. Debbie Horwitz right here on a short leash on WGN. She is a co-editor of Decoding Your Dog and is a speaker to veterinarians all over the world. I said veterinary behaviorist. Dr. Horwitz, what is a veterinary behaviorist? Veterinary behaviorists are veterinarians who have gone to veterinary school and have completed residency, resident training become board certified in behavior after showing their credentials, what they learned, and taking an exam and publishing research. So we have advanced training in treating behavior problems in dogs and cats and horses and cows or whatever. So that's what a veterinary behaviorist is. And it's really, and I guess go ahead. can prescribe medication yeah, for it, um, behavior disorders. And it's like a veterinary cardiologist, same thing, or a veterinary neurologist or veterinary surgeon. I mean, the training is behavior in this case, but it's similar in that it's a specialist who has extra years of school to demonstrate that a proficiency in this specialty. Have I stumbled through that adequately? Yes, a proficiency in dealing with animals with behavior problems and being able to prescribe appropriate medication, not not that your veterinarian cannot, but uh, veterinary behaviorists are well-skilled for all kinds of behavioral disorders. If we're talking about fears and phobias of storms and, and fireworks, uh, 
your regular veterinarian often is quite capable of helping in those acute situations. You know, it was, I don't know how many years ago that I think the general public today is more aware that there are veterinary behaviorists, but it was some number of years ago that uh, some of your colleagues said, you know, we need we need to get out there because if you Google a behavior problem, whatever that problem is in a dog or a cat, all these other things are going to come up before the real experts. And that's exactly what you all are. The real experts in animal behavior don't even appear in that Google search until number, I don't know, 143 or something. So how do, how do we get our name out there more? And uh, it turned out that a book called Decoding Your Dog, which is written for all of you pet parents, but by the experts, the veterinary behaviorists, that book, well, sold very well, which demonstrates interest in all this. And therefore, another book called Decoding Your Cat was released similarly a couple of years ago as well. And similarly, doing very well. I think people want to understand Dr. Horowitz, why their cats, why their dogs do what they do? I think that's very true. Um, if I'm flying on an airplane, people ask what you do, and I tell them they all have questions. And we, if we don't have, if we haven't lived with a lot of pets, or even if we have, they don't talk. They don't have language. So our inability to always understand what they're telling us with their body and their facial expressions make it difficult for us to help them in occasions like uh, thunderstorm phobias and firework phobias because we know what's going to happen, but your pet has no idea that this unpredictable noise is going to start even before the 4th of July, even before it's dark outside, these booms and these pops and these flashes of light. And to them... Signals danger, not woohoo! It's the Fourth of July. It's not something to get happy about. <laughs> I love your woohoo. <laughs> more and more people are traveling with their pets than ever before. Uh, in many ways, that's a good thing. But you know, I personally suggest some of these pets would be happier if they were left first, ideally, in their own home, and a pet sitter, responsible pet sitter. Good luck finding one at times came to the home, or in other cases, being boarded at a responsible facility, but in any case, not necessarily going with you. You might disagree with that. I don't know. It depends on where you're going and your individual pet. I would add to um, leaving them home, I believe that... um, Cats, definitely someone has to come in at least once a day to see them. They are social. Also to make sure that they're eliminating properly. For dogs who are used to people being around more, I think they, if they're left at home, it'd be nice if you get someone to live at your place. But both of those things are hard to do. So what I do really recommend to all of my pet-owning families is that from a very young age that you get your pet used to being in a reliable boarding situation, that you take them, and the first time you take them, you take them in the morning, you pick them up in the afternoon, and maybe the next time you leave them overnight, so that to them, it's not an unusual situation, and somebody can watch and see, are they eating, are they playing, are they happy, and if you find the right place, you can't always find someone at the last minute to stay with your pet. And I personally, this is my personal 
recommendation is I want someone to have eyes on my pet every single day. And know what they're doing. Yeah. Did they eat the same amount? Did they go to the bathroom the same amount? And it's sometimes hard to find people to come into the house. So if you can find a good pet care situation, at least make sure your animal is used to it. And that's what I've done. I have two cats, and they've gone, like I said, I've said before, I leave their cat carriers out, put treats in them. They've flown with me. They've been at the boarding kennel. they stayed alone with people who come every day to them. They're used to a lot of situations of being um, left alone. And uh, when I go away and I come back, they're happy to see me, but I can tell that they're still themselves. And I think that's really important. So I like asking you million-dollar questions because I never have a million dollars for you. So when that dog, and I'm talking dogs at the moment, come home from a boarding facility, and the Mm -hmm. dog is just, like, dead tired, people will typically say, oh, look, my dog had a great time, and maybe that dog did. And the dog is just exhausted, and maybe that's the case. On the other hand, I argue sometimes, a considerable number of times, That's mistaken for anxiety. So the dog comes home, and the dog actually didn't have a good time. The dog wishes he or she could say to you, oh, my God, this is so stressful for me. How do you parse those two? How can you tell the difference? I First of all, it starts with the place that you take your pet. And um, I'm just speaking from my personal opinion, since a veterinary behaviorist as a pet owner and a veterinarian. When you talk about dog kennels, they're often very loud. And if you think you're going to board your pet, then you need to go there for an unexpected visit sometime. Usually somewhere in the first few hours of the morning and sometime late in the afternoon, that's when they feed and that's when they clean the kennels. And you can hear the level of noise that's there. So sometimes it's the fact that it's so loud that they can't really sleep. It's not so much that they're anxious, it's that it's loud. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, again, this is a personal opinion. I've been a veterinarian for a relatively long time, <laughs> and um, kennels have changed. The place where I happen to take my dog is an old-style kennel. And what I mean by that is it has a wooden door on the front, and has solid walls and has an outdoor run that can be opened by a a remote gate. Nobody has to go in and let the dog in and out. What does that do for the pet? Well, what it does is, for all the dogs that are there, when people walk up and down the aisle, the dogs don't all bark. Because some dogs are not bothered by that. But if they can see each other, both on the sides and in front, one dog starts barking, they all start barking. And it makes for a really noisy environment. And also for some dogs and cats, I'll go to cats later, it's very intimidating to have another dog looking at you all day, right? They can see you all day long. And um, I, I think that that is, to me, don't have a lot of studies on that. I think that that can be uh, somewhat intimidating. So for the dog, it doesn't feel comfortable sleeping. For a cat, oftentimes the cat should be removed from the dog where the dogs are somewhere where they can't hear the dogs, same thing. They can't see the dogs and that they can't necessarily see each other. So that when, and and for cats, we know that it helps to have a hiding box in there so the cat can go inside and not be seen because that's what the cat wants. And I'm sure that some dogs would like that too. 
So I recommend if you're going to kennel your dog that you go there and you ask for a visit. You ask for a tour, and you show up unpredictably. If they say no, personally, I'm talking as a pet owner now, I wouldn't bring my animal there. I understand. I understand. We still haven't gotten to traveling in a car, though. We need to do Uh, that, and we will do that, I promise, when we come back here on WGN. She's a veterinary behaviorist, Dr. Debbie Horwitz, co-author of Decoding Your Dog, and also a supporter and participant of a similar book called Decoding Your Cat. And covered in those books is, well, traveling with your dog or your cat. More people are doing that than ever before. We just talked about how, well, in some cases... Maybe the dog or cat really shouldn't be going with. They don't enjoy travel. But there is a way to encourage or train your dog or your cat to at least tolerate the trip, if not enjoy it, Dr. Horowitz. It goes back to setting the appropriate preparation and expectations. Taking your dog or your cat uh, for short uh, trips in the car I am a big proponent of carriers or seatbelts for dogs, carriers for cats, and get them used to the carrier. My carriers, I have one for each cat. I have two cats. I used to put them in the same carrier, but they're bigger now. I have one for each cat. They're out all the time. So sometimes I put treats in there, and they run in, and they don't go in every day because they know it doesn't happen every day, but they go in, they check them out, they sleep in them. Sometimes I stack them one on top of each other. They're... uh, they're soft-sided carriers, and they're used to the carriers. If I need to take them somewhere, I can put some treats in, pick them up, put them inside. They don't cry. They don't say anything because it's, they're used to that. If the dog is small enough, I think a dog in the car should either travel in a, a car seat with a harness or in a carrier that can be clipped into the seat belt. If it's a large dog, it definitely needs a harness. When you stop suddenly, the dog becomes a flying projectile, and that can be really dangerous. And we need to practice with these things. Dogs, not all dogs like to go in the car. Some only go in the car to go to the veterinary clinic or to be groomed, which can be unpleasant situations. But instead, we have to take them to the, I don't know, take them to the dry cleaners, leave the windows down enough so they get some air, run inside, get your dry cleaning, take them for a ride and bring them home, take them to the park, take them for a walk. Uh, I think it makes a difference. And when you're on a long ride, you need to be sure that you bring water and a tiny bit of food with you. If you're going to be on vacation, take enough food for the whole time. But make sure that your pet is not traveling on a totally empty stomach. Sometimes that makes them nauseous because you don't want them to eat a big meal. And if you have a dog that throws up in the car, there are many safe medications you can get from your veterinarian that will help with that. You're talking about anti-nausea medications, I believe, which is certainly... Certainly makes sense. Uh, what about for the dogs that are just mildly distressed or a dog that isn't distressed, but you kind of want to get ahead of things? Can a nutraceutical, not a nutritional supplement, not a pharmaceutical, but sort of that space in between, you don't need a prescription for these, like Zilkine, which is hydrolyzed milk protein. It's like what great grandma said, you know, if you're anxious about something, have a warm cup of milk at night before you go to bed and you'll feel better about it in the morning. And of course, great grandma had to be right. In addition to that, there are pheromone products, there are other things that are easy enough to use or even giving uh, the dog 
something to do. So stuffing, I don't know, low-fat, low-salt peanut butter inside a Kong toy or another similar type toy. Any of that, all of that makes sense. It definitely does. Um, There are nutraceutical projects that really help. Pheromones are, without a doubt, a very easy intervention. Adaptal is the dog calming pheromone, comes as a spray and a collar. So you can put the collar on the dog a few days before you go. They have the pheromone around the, the aroma of it, around them all the time while they travel. Uh, you can spray the inside of their carrier. For cats, it comes as a diffuser, and you spray the inside, and not a diffuser, as a spray and a diffuser. You spray the inside of their carrier. And nutraceuticals are certainly a way to go. Don't rely on anything to be perfect right before you get in the car. So you spray the pheromone in the carrier or the car at least 10 or 15 minutes before you leave, and you start your nutraceutical or medication from your veterinarian a couple of days before you go. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to do some practice trips as well, as you talked about earlier, to go to fun places, which makes a huge difference as well. So the thing is, our dogs want to be with us. I'm talking dogs at the moment. Cats, too, want to be with us. But our dogs want to be with us, so they're excited. But then some of them get in the car and look at you like, oh, this is not where I really want to be. So for many of those dogs, what you're saying, the problem can be rectified, but it takes just a little bit of effort. It does. It does. And then keep in mind, not all pets want to go everywhere. I, I often got that question uh, when I would be standing at, like, a bark in the park, and they would say, well, I want to take my dog here to bark in the park, but when I come, he barks and he whines and he pulls. And my answer is he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go. So we don't like to go anywhere, everywhere, and, and neither do our pets. So make sure that you practice going on trips with your dog or your cat in the car for rides that are short and then longer. Make sure that you have all the information on your pet so if they escape, you can get them recovered. And then understand that sometimes they might not want to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, people are the same way, but I do want to go anywhere Dr. Horowitz is. Dr. Debbie Horwitz, veterinary behaviorist, the co-editor of a book called Decoding Your Dog, and involved with another book called Decoding Your Cat, as an editor as well. There you go. And And these books are available anywhere. You buy your books, and I do recommend them because they're written by veterinary behaviorists themselves. I mean, the people who, in fact, oftentimes did the very research which you're reading about, all written in a way from kittens to senior cats to puppies to geriatric dogs in a way that you can understand. Dr. Horowitz, thank you so much. You're welcome, and have a great weekend. Be careful on the 4th of July, Steve Dale. (laughs) I will. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Bye. So you're out there running? It's good for you. Your doctor may tell you, jog. You don't necessarily have to do a marathon, or maybe, maybe you're training for the Chicago Marathon, and you want to do that with your dog? No, don't do that with your dog. Listen, uh, even though dogs have twice as many legs as we do, they are not natural long-distance runners. Having said that, if trained, the Weimaraner, I'd say the Vishla, Dalmatian for sure, they can run, depending on the age and the health of that dog. 
long distances, but they have to work up to it just like we do. The most important piece of advice, water, water, water. So if you're thirsty, your dog is thirstier. I mean, dogs don't do well in heat. People don't. Well, if you think people don't, dogs don't do well at all. And even running down the block with a bulldog or a French bulldog, any of those brachiocephalic breeds, if it is over 70 degrees, that's probably not a good idea. Also consider that weight loss, which we talked about with Dr. Ernie Ward, yes, certainly an exercise plan should be a part of a dog's weight loss plan. But running and getting right into it, again, remembering that dogs don't do as well in heat as people do, that's probably not a good idea. It can be if you start really, really slow. And ask your veterinarian first before doing any of those things. Also remember that even if you're running with, let's say you're starting off with an eight-year-old golden retriever. That is like starting off with a 60-year-old person. Not all of those 60-year-old people will say, hey, I'm going to begin running. Let's do a 5K. Some might, but some won't. So pay attention to what your dog is telling you. Your dog might not be enjoying the experience as well as you think your dog is. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, on WGN.